first ever episode of the More Than A Game podcast. A podcast all about basketball, yes, uh, but our hope is that we can dive deeper into topics and themes such as leadership and culture and people and a myriad of things. And today on the show, we have Rob Beveridge, who's coached over 300 games in the National Basketball League, the NBL, as well as a number of other coaching achievements. It's a great honour to have him on the podcast today. Rob Beveridge, welcome to the More Than A Game podcast. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the invite. Great to have you here, mate. Uh, so if I can begin, yesterday we actually, we'll start on this. I didn't have this planned uh, to begin with, but uh, seeing it's happened, I thought we would uh, touch on it, and that's the retirement of uh, Kevin Lish. I know he's a close mate of yours, and you coached him for a number of years. What were your initial reactions when you heard the news? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've known Kev now, I think it's 11 or 12 years, you know, I was responsible for bringing him out and mm. stuff like that. So, you know, I promised his parents when I was recruiting that I'd look after him like my son and, and that's the relationship that we've we've built mm. over the many, many years is, uh, you know, obviously there's an athlete-coach relationship, but it's a bit deeper than that, mm. that, uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm like his father figure here. Australia, so sort of, you know, I knew the process. Uh, yeah, if it, it, it was quite emotional yesterday, like I actually spoke to Kev, and uh, mm. yeah, he was a little bit emotional, and I felt that way as well. That like mm. one of your, you know, one of your favourite players and favourite people, uh, yeah, his career's come to an end, but mm. the, the enormous sense of pride. Uh, he's just one of the, the most beautiful human beings that you'd ever meet. You know, what you yeah. see is what you get with him. So, uh, you, you know, he's a wonderful man and he contributes so much to, to basketball, but yeah. you know, he, he'll continue to contribute off the court. And that, that's probably uh, you know, it's something that I'm proud that you know, he becomes such a great man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do know what a great guy he is. I know him personally as well, but um, in terms of a player, I reckon there's probably, in my opinion, no better combo guard that's graced the, the courts of the NBL, um, point guard, shooting guard. He had it all, great shot. Um, what kind of legacy do you think you'll leave behind? I think that, uh, you know, it was interesting. When I first recruited him to Perth, uh, pe- pe- people want to get rid of him, you know, because yeah. he was a... Athletic, you know, there's always these expectations with imports that they're they're athletic, they're flamboyant, they're you know those types of people, and, and people were actually calling for you know his, his sacking early in the days, and it, it made no sense to me because you know he came through a, an incredible system with Rick Majerus. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd spoken to him, but but probably what has separated him from from a lot of the imports that come in here is that. You know, his work ethic mm. is as good as I've ever, ever seen in my entire life. His mm. professionalism, the way he treated himself on and off the court, you know, his preparation was was methodical, uh, was meticulous with everything he did. So, you know, he, he really epitomised a true champion. And, uh, you know, the way he played the game offensively and defensively was he, he gave absolutely more than 100% every single time he was on the floor. And that, that's probably what's almost, you know, I wouldn't say it's cost his career, but, mm. you know, for the way he plays the game is the way he trains. Mm. And, you know, when your body goes through that uh, for such a long period of time, sooner or later something's going to happen. And, uh, you know, he's had you know, a few injuries and obviously a career-ending injury now. And that was because of the, the way he treated every single practice, every single game. Mm. Uh, it just probably wore him down. Absolutely. 
He's uh, had a great career, uh, nonetheless. But um, I was going to ask this later on, but since you touched on it, um, the importance of work ethic and the, the kind of player he was in that regard, no doubt brought that to training sessions as well. Um, I was talking to Jeff Fang Groningen previously about the importance of finding the right coach for an organisation that's going to buy into the, the vision or the purpose um, of the organisation. And he spoke about the right, and getting the right fit in terms of coach, but in terms of um, coaching, I know you've coached 300 plus games in the NBL, coached Australia to gold at the 2003 World Junior Championships, uh, you coached at the Commonwealth Games, and uh, we'll get into some of those in a moment, but in terms of getting the right players um, as to fit in or to buy in with the organisation, um, how important is, uh, first of all, the character of the player? Um, do you take that over playing ability or um, is the playing ability paramount to you? Yeah, look, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, I know we were talk about the book that I've written, but, mm. but part, part one of the, the chapters that we specifically talk about uh, you know, is the, the culture of the organisation, like the, the workplace, is it positive, is it negative, all of those types of things. So you've got to have a great environment, uh, a great organisational structure uh, that, that allows athletes, coaches, everybody to, to, to do their job. And mm. uh, that was a major component. But, you know, when I look at athletes... Uh, the, the the character of the player is paramount, mm. you know, that, that that's the thing. Uh, that when I recruit players, you, you know, like I, I get sent literally when I'm recruiting hundreds of players that mm. that get sent me from ages, yeah. you know, And at the end of the day, like all the players you're looking at, they're, they're really good players. They're professional mm. players. Yeah. So what separates the good from the great is actually the, the character of that person. You know, are they trustworthy? You know, are they honest? Are they hardworking? You know, uh, are they self-motivated? All of those things is what I actually look at. And, uh, you know, how do they think? You know, what type of you know, person are they? You know, I want to know about are, are you married? Are you got boyfriends or family? Or, you know, have you got tattoos? You know, what's your thoughts on this and that and stuff mm. like that? So probably do, do my homework more about the person, their family, their background. I speak to their college coaches. I speak to uh, their former teammates uh, to get a real good understanding of who the people are. Because you know, you know, so I've been in the league a very, very long time. You don't always get it right. Mm. No, there's no doubt about that. Sometimes you get it wrong. It just doesn't fit. But you definitely are looking for people that have got high character, uh, great core values, those types of things. Because that there allows you as a coach to be able to coach them. Mm. Uh, you understand that ego, that you understand what makes them, them, them tick and the character of the player is just paramount and that's what I always try and do when I'm recruiting mm. a player and that was the thing with, uh, you know, with, with Kev Lish was uh, I went directly to Chris Harriman, you know, who was one of my mm. former players at, mm. at St. Louis and he knows me, he played for me, he knew the type of player and, and he said, hey, I've got a guy for you, Kevin Lish. Mm. And that's good enough for me. I don't have to go and search videos and listen to the BS that comes out from agents and yeah. uh, people like that. So you always got to do your homework on, on the players. And uh, you know, in my opinion, you know, the character is one of the, 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 the biggest ones that I'm after. Yeah, that's great, mate. Yeah, the reason I asked that question is I just I remember an interview with Brian Gorgian uh, probably about 10 years ago now in... He was asked out of everyone that he's coached, who was his favourite player, I think it was, was the quote, favourite player he's ever coached. And his answer, surprisingly, 
was BJ Carter. And um, the reason for that was because of BJ's work ethic and the kind of guy that he was. And um, I had a bit to do with BJ at Sutherland Sharks and had a season playing alongside of him, which was great, a great experience. But just to see his work ethic, but um, a, you know, a kid that never made state teams, you know, I was told he was too short, too skinny. There's probably a lot of kids out there that have been told that. Um, but yet he still made a good career in the NBL and, and gave it a red-hot crack. So have you had any players that um, fit that sort of bill that people may not have known about or or realised um, what a great person they were to have around the team? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, as I said, I've been doing it so long, but, you know, like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that are actually misunderstood at times. You know, like, you, you, people on the on the outside might look at these people and go, oh, geez, oh, he's not very good, he's not mm. that, but, you know, I call them, like, glue types of players, mm. you know, yeah. You know, the, the players like, uh, you know, a Brad Robbins, you know, that, that mm. is, uh, you know, you know a, a Kevin White, you know, Cameron Tovey, you know, like yeah. a lot of those players that are behind the scenes, that, that they're, they're the glue of a team that give their heart and soul and they hold their teammates accountable and things like that. So, mm. I mean, I've had some really, really good players, and obviously the Damien Martins and the Kirk Pennies and, and Kev and all that, but they, they fit that, that characteristic. But you've got to have somebody that... Uh, you know, brings that X factor. And, you know, I look at other teams and I look at somebody like a Dylan Boucher, mm. uh, you know, or a Mick of Vicona. Like, mm. those guys have been in the league for such a long period of time yeah. and they weren't superstars, you know, but when you speak to their coaches and, and you know, players that I've mentioned, they're just quality human beings that mm. just give their heart and soul to the team. You know, I mean, Tyson Demos, uh, you know, at, at Wollongong, you know, he... he, he his career was over because of injuries and stuff like that. But, you know, he was so great to coach because of his attitude and his work ethic and holding his teammates accountable. And, you know, he wouldn't do anything without uh, you know, him doing it himself. He wouldn't ask anybody to do anything. Mm. You know, so they're, they're, they're those types of players that you look back upon and they were pleasures to coach. They were just, you know, you turn up to work and you know you're coaching really good people. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great, mate. Um, yeah, you mentioned the book, and we'll get a picture of it up here. Let me just. So, when Winnie matters, uh, the book you dive into. Uh, in the book, you dive into transforming cultures, fostering success, uh, creating or building winning environments, and uh, you've done that with Stephen Bird. My question, first of all, is how did this come about for starters? Yeah, look, it's it's one of those things that. Um it's something that, that I've wanted to do for a long period of time. Uh, you know, I, I look back and go, and I've been doing this 28 years as a mm. professional coach. Uh, you know, I've, you know, look, I sort of pinch myself at times how lucky I am as a, as a basketball coach. I mean, I do something that, you know, for a living that you can only dream of. There's not many jobs and stuff like that. And, mm. and uh, you know, I've you know, been to Olympic Games. I've been to World, World Championships, World Cups, Com Games, the whole lot. You know, mm. I've had a, a wonderful career. And uh, what I'm now trying to pass on, I'm, I'm at a stage of my life that, you know, w winning championships or, you know, crowds, that, that, that doesn't, really mean that much to me anymore in a, mm. you know, not a disrespectful way I think that I'm in a position now that it's you, you put back and I'm very very big on on mentoring mm. and I've learned so much over my journey working with some incredible people incredible mm. programs so the book's about uh, what we've learned so so Dr Stephen Bird uh, you know my background with him is uh, I came across him uh, when I was in WA 
And we just hit it off straight away and employed him as a consultant with the Perth Wildcats that, you know, he's a specialist in sports science and strength conditioning and particularly in recovery and things like that. He's a world authority. And, uh, you know, it's, he's like my right-hand man mm. and uh, very like-minded. You know, we, we, we only want the best for others. So we're both like mentors. Yeah. So we, we got together and said, hey, you know, let, let's talk about our 25, 30 years of, of high-performance coaching. And we're just trying to pass on uh, what we believe are the, 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 the secrets, you know, the success mm. to yeah. building programs. So it covers everything for... Uh, obviously, been a coach. You know, I cover a lot of coaching. Uh, you know, I don't know if issues is the word, but but things that people really got to know about in in professional sport and birdie mm. background in the sports sciences and the you know, the psychology and things like that. So, mm. and we really delve into uh, successful organisations what they do, mm. uh, but also other organisations of what they don't do and show. This is what happens in the real world. This is what happens. You know, I'm lucky that you know I've coached over 20 players in the NBA. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, what do they do? You know, like, we, we, what does you know Andrew Bogut do? You know, what yeah. does David Anderson do? You know, what does those types of players? You know, the, the great coaches, Phil Jackson, you know, Michael yeah. Shipsky, you know, uh, you know, Greg Popovich. You know, so really, we're passing on an enormous amount of information about you know, what we've learned in the real-world sporting environment and passing it on to, 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 to athletes, coaches and administrators. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, just a quick, quick question around success. Um, um, you may touch on the book, I don't know, but for me, success is more than winning. Um, there's a lot more to success that people don't realise. So in, in your words, just briefly, what is success to you? What does that look like exactly? Yeah, it's it's to, to to me, it's making a difference. You know, like you know, a lot of people think success is winning a championship, but you know, mm-hmm. when I look at um, you know, I look at organisations that you know have won three championships in a row and yeah. then fold. You know, it's happened right. a number of times. Yeah, you know, it, it happens. So you know, really, is that success because you win a championship? Yeah. You know, I, I think that, you know, to me, success is the influence that that, that, that I or the program, the organisation has on the people within the organisation. Mm. You know, like I'm very community orientated. So part of the focus is, hey, we're role models for our, for our society. Mm. So our success is how can we influence other people in a positive way? Mm. From a coaching perspective, how can I influence an athlete uh, to become great people, to become a mm. great player, to be the best that they can be. Mm. You know, I, I build a successful program. Um, you know, like right, right now, I mean, I've I've lost more championships than I've won. Mm. You know, and go, oh, you're so successful, and go, well, I'm successful because I invest in in my players, my staff. You know, I want the best, and that's what success is for me, mm. rather than you know being on a podium and you know having a championship or things like that. I, that that's, only the, that's only the cream. Mm. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. I've been there, done that. But it's watching people, you know, like it's enormous pride to see something like Kev Lish come out of college as a rookie to where he is. That, yeah. That's to me success. Damien Martin from a 16-year-old kid to, you know, where, where he is. You know, mm. to watch all these players that you've been influential part of their life, that's what I consider to be success rather than, uh, you know, you lost the championship or you lost that. It's influences that you have on other people. Yeah, absolutely. That's great, mate. Um, I'll come to the Perth Wildcats in a second because, you know, based on what you said, they're an organisation that have been successful on the court but off the court as well. And 
done it for so many years. But um, just on your point about building other players and um, encouraging them along, uh, you started off with the West Sydney Razorbacks. Um, that was your first gig in the NBL, is that correct? Or Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, yep. so maybe you, would, you came into that team and yep. it was a bit of a tumultuous sort of uh, start for you in the NBL. Um, the Razorbacks are a great, successful club. They're coming off a few lean seasons there. And, um, yeah, just to see the um, – this is what I admire about you. From the outset, you, you invested in those players and you got the best out of them. And you mentioned Damien Martin. He was on your team back then, uh, believe it or not, a Razorback. Um, but he's come through and done some great things in the sport. Um, what was your experience back then uh, with the Razorbacks and, and uh, what was it like in your first crack at the NBL? Yeah, it, it, um, it was something that I always wanted to do, was coaching the NBL. But uh, at, at the same time, it was important for me to, to get in the right job. Hmm. That, um, you know, I, I'm a rookie coach. You know, this is hmm. a mistake that a lot of coaches do is that they go for the top-end jobs, stuff like that. Now, I actually had an opportunity to, to look at Adelaide in the early days hmm. and, and also Perth. They were superpowers. They were powerhouse. Hmm. If I had gone into that environment, I would have been eaten up, and swallowed and spat out. Wow. You know, yeah. It's simply that. Yeah, and yeah, that's something that I realised is that you've got to earn your stripes. You've got to develop you know, yourself as a coach. And, and I was based in Sydney, head coach of the New South Wales Institute of Sport. I, I knew the people involved with West Sydney with Phil Hudson and Robbie Kiddie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had... I knew people around me to support me, even though they were the worst team in the league yeah. at the time. They, they went through a whole lot of issues and stuff like that. Mm. It was a good stepping stone for me as a coach uh, to, to be able to develop you know, my personality, my philosophy on, on coaching. And, and right from the very start, it's always been about, okay, if we're going to build a program, we start at the bottom and you work your way up. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was all about, you know, athlete-centred uh, program. Let's get great, great people, good athletes. Let, let's invest in them and develop them. You know, hence mm. why you go after, you know, the Matty Knights and the Julian Kazoos and you know mm. Damian Martin and you know you, you build a program uh, around it. So, mm. so that that was my start. That I realised that you know getting the NBL. If I went to a higher team, I wouldn't have been able to handle the media the expectation that you had to win a championship, you had to yeah. do this. So it was an incredible start for me. And, uh, you know, we, you know, to me, you know, I think we won 10 games in our first year, but, but it was a successful year because we blooded so many young players. Yeah. You know, so that there I looked at, yeah, it was pretty successful, although, were, you know, maybe 10 and 18 or 10 and 20 for the season. Yeah, that's right. That's good to hear. Despite the Kings jersey in the background, I was actually a Razorbacks fan. Uh, growing up, and um, uh, I hate to bring it up, but uh, one thing that happened uh, just prior to the 2008 season um, was the Sydney Kings folded. Um, obviously, their owner went bankrupt, and that's a whole other story, but uh, the Razorbacks were left as the only Sydney team in the NBL, and they made the choice to become the Sydney Spirit. So for me, growing up, it was a bit of a disappointing move. And it didn't seem the experiment to work all that well. Um, I guess the evidence of that was that you took a game to the entertainment centre and only about 800, 900 people turned up. And for me, that sort of reflected where the league was at the at the time. But hindsight's a great thing. If you had your time again, would you encourage the organisation to go down that path? Or 
you think it was a mistake or something that was out of your it, it control? Massive mistake. I mean, uh, you know, I, I was extremely proud to be coach of West Sydney Razorbacks. Yeah, you know, like it, it was. A, it was a great club, mm. and probably the the end of the the Razorbacks was when the Kings failed. Yeah. Because the new owner came in and all good intentions, but you know, I knew knew it was going to be a failure because uh, at the end of the day, the rivalry between uh, you know West Sydney and the Sydney Kings were, was fantastic. Yeah, you know, you, you know, the cross city rivalry was was so good. Mm-hmm. You know, be, and then a decision was made: are oh, the Kings have gone? Let's try and get the monopoly of the market by becoming the spirit of Sydney. That was yeah. the theory behind it. Yeah. But in my mind, again, dumb move because mm. one, you're never going to have Sydney Kings supporters want to support West Sydney. That's and right. then by changing the name from the West Sydney Road back to the spirit, we, we segregated ourselves from our own fans. So yeah. it was always going to be, in my mind, complete failure, but mm. at the end of the day, I'm, I'm only a coach. What would I know? Exactly. You know I'd only been <laughs> in Sydney for you know, 10 years prior to coming in. So I, I understood the landscape and mm. I thought at the time it wasn't a good move and it probably proved that it wasn't the right thing to do because obviously, you know, we're never going to get the fans from Sydney you know, Kings anyway. Mm. You know, that's just the way it is. Almost trying to say, oh, let's join the Lakers and the Clippers together. Yeah, and try, right. Well, that, it's not going to happen. It just doesn't mm. happen. And I think mm. you've got to look at the sociology of and the, the mindset of people. Mm. And as soon as we change the name, we ostracise ourselves from our own fans. And, yeah. uh, you know, when you don't get bums on seats and, you know, you lose sponsors and things like that, things went, went pear-shaped. And unfortunately, you know, I was in that, that, you know, the head coach of the team when it went into receivership, you know, the global financial crisis occurred, uh, the, the owner did a runner. He, he just disappeared and club faults. You know, so yeah. it, was, uh, it was an incredibly tough experience. But, you know, yeah. in hindsight, you learn these things. But at the time, I thought, oh, geez, I don't think it's the right thing to do. Mm, absolutely. Um, well, in that time as well, um, Andrew Bogut stepped in, um, put, in, put some of his own money into the club. And that's one thing I love about Bogues is uh, his, his interest in the sport. He's passionate about the sport. He's not in it for self-interest. And... Um, yeah, he put his own money into the club. Um, you and Andrew go uh, way back to the 2003 um, Junior World Championships uh, where you won the gold medal. Um, one of the greatest moments in Australian basketball history, in my opinion, um, seeing those young kids come through and uh, win gold. Uh, first and foremost, uh, what was that experience like um, being a part of that team? And I mean, let me just run through some of the players in the team. We said Andrew Bogut, Damian Martin, uh, Brad Newley, Alex Marich, uh, Aaron Bruce, Stephen Markovic. It was a pretty loaded team. Um, what was it like? But also, did you realise or see back then that um, these players were going to become the players that they are today? Oh, look, uh, that, that was a special group. There, there's no doubt. And, you know, as a head coach of that, that team, you know, it was one of those things that it, we, we were a true team. You know, like we, we knew who the best player was. We knew who the alpha dog was. Mm. You know, and that's the thing when you're building a team, you've got to know what your role is. Yeah. You know, so we, we had tremendous leadership in, you know, Damien Martin and, you know, Reese Carter and, you know, um, Brad Roberts. Mm. You know, like that, those guys were, you know, your engine room. You know, you got mm. your superstar in Bogut. But the thing with Bogut, he, he, although we knew he was the alpha dog, um, 
he he was about team. Yeah. You know, he knew what his job was to do. And and that all I had to do was try and get all their egos, leave mm. them at the door. Mm. Hey, we're, we're doing this together. It's one of those things. When you represent Australia, you, know, you put that green and gold on, you know, you got the, you know, your emblem on, on your chest. You know, it's... Uh, you know, we don't take a backward step. You know, mm. like leave your ego at the door. And I think that's that's something that why in Australia we're actually you know a world power is because we do leave our egos at the door. Yeah. In my experience, as soon as it becomes about you, mm. that's when you get all your team chemistry issues and stuff like that. And yeah. that was the beauty of coaching that team was that we had everybody knew what their role was, yeah. and they were the best in that role, and they accepted that that. You know, Bogut knew he had to score. You know, a lot of people don't realise back in the day, he averaged like 28.17 rebounds. He was a scorer. Mm-hmm. You know, that was his job. You know, and I look at his career, how he's evolved as a player. You know, it, it sums it up going to Golden State Warriors. You know, he, he hardly ever scored. All he had, all he did was an exceptional passer, screener. Mm. You know, that's what he did because he knew that, he had to do what he had to do to get the ball to Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, his teammates. Mm. You know, so really, you know, we, we, we had the best role players you know, there and they were all exceptionally good at what they did in their role. And you know, every single one of those players mm. in that team went on to play professional basketball. You know, yeah. you know, a lot of them at a very, very high level. So yeah. it, was, it was very special. Yeah. Oh, it would, yeah. It would have been an incredible ride to be on and to stand on that podium at the end of it. Um, you, just, you touched on about the how we punch above our weight at international level. Um, just quickly about uh, if you can talk about um, how we're perceived um, out there in in the world as a basketball nation. Like you know, we've done so well for so long, and we've got such a fruitful history, um, Australian basketball. Um, so yeah, what are what is the perceptions out there about us? And um, just on that, can can we win the gold medal next year now at the Tokyo Games? Do you think? Yeah, look, um, it's it's for us to get to this position. You know, we're, we're, I think we're number three in the world at the moment. Uh, we're definitely mm. the top four in the world. You know, I looked at the rankings not long ago, and uh, that took a long time to get there. Mm. You know, so you know, my background is going back twenty five years ago. That we used to go on a lot of professional t- development tours to the USA, to Russia, Spain, Serbia. You know, Slovenia, Lithuania, you know, like we did all this stuff that we went into those countries to find out what are they good at? Mm. What do they really do? Mm. And we had to identify us as a country, you know, we, we, we can't be like the USA, you know, a running team. Yeah. We can't be a half-court team like the Europeans because they're too good. Mm. So we developed our own hybrid game, mm. but we also developed the personality that it was never take a backward step, you know. And the perception is because you know I've coached you know up in Asia and you know the Middle East and USA and all those places. There's actually a perception that we're dirty. Mm. Now a lot of people, oh those Aussies, they're dirty. We aren't dirty. We're we're hard nosed. Right. I think that's the difference. Is that mm. you know we collectively as a team we know who we are. We know what our personality is, mm. and that. To you know, the, the, the non-negotiable behaviours that this is what you know, we're going to, uh, this is how we're going to play the game. Mm. Fast forward, you know, for us to win a gold medal, players got to leave their egos at the door. Mm, that's right. Simple as that. Mm. You know, I think that there's exceptionally talented players. You know, and if we can get you know, all that talent 
all on the same page, mm. playing for each other, you know, we, we, we can win a gold medal. Yeah. You know, I truly believe yeah. that. But it's taken coaching staff to be able to, to mould uh, the egos of, of the players. Mm. You know, and, and when I say about that, you know, the, the players, they're good people. You know, they only want the best. It's, sure. They're not going to be... That's just the Australian way. But it's going to be... Uh, the biggest challenge is to have every single one of those players understand what their role is hmm. and, and, and and fit into a team that's going to win a gold medal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's hope they do. Um, got to wait another year for it, but um, let's see how we go. And hopefully Bogut's around. That's my hope and my prayer. Um, just going back to Damien Martin, the, uh, when the Razorbacks folded, it was actually a silver line in some ways for you because you ended up at the Perth Wildcats and had your crack there and were very successful. Um, First and foremost, we talked about organisations and, and successful organisations at the top of um, this podcast. Um, what makes the Perth Wildcats so good? What do they put in place that they continue to churn out um, quality teams that compete and, and, again, make the finals? Yeah, look, uh, it, it was, that was a, a great thing to be able to go through that, you know, I, I cut my teeth in the, um, with the West Sydney Racebacks slash Sydney. Mm. Um, and, and, and I guess the experiences that I had dealing with a team that's folded, you know, it, it accelerated my understanding uh, about how we do things. So, for example, when, when we folded, so when the owner walked out, we, had, we only had two or three months to go in the season, mm. that our crowds actually, you know, we were losing to, you know, I think we only won one game in the last 10 games because we lost four players. You know, we bring people out of state league just to make numbers. Mm. And the increase because we had great people. And the community actually backed us. Mm. So I always knew that community was a key to, mm. to, to the success of a team, yeah. uh, that people could relate to these people. When it goes back to the character of the people, they've got to be good people that people can relate to. Mm. So then when I go over to, to Perth, when, when uh, I was in Perth, that was part of the, you know, my, my, my business plan or mission statement was going, okay, right now the Perth Wildcats have gone 10 years in a row, 10 years they went without... Um, a championship mm. so they've made playoffs right. but we, we, there were eight of the 12 teams made the playoffs you know so it was actually a lot easier back in those days to make playoffs than it is today mm. you know back there there was you know 60 70% of the teams made the playoffs that's mm. no disrespect to anybody but uh, the, the point when I came into to the Wildcats okay we got to change the mindset around what we're doing. We're not going to... Like the Perth Wildcats are arguably the richest club mm. in, uh, in the league. So they've always had that ability to go and recruit the mm. best players. Yeah. But what I wanted to do was recruit the best players with the best attitude. Mm. You, know, you know, so I had that ability with a club to be able to go out and recruit, you know, you know the Damien Martins and, you know, bring back Catalini and, like, yeah. all these people that I consider... You know, winners, bring in mm. Kevlish, you know, like bring in these people, you know, Jesse Wagstaff, mm. uh, you know, Cameron Covey, like all of those people have got the the right mindset to do that. And that was probably one of the biggest turning points for their club was that we said, okay, we're not going to go out and open the checkbook and just go and buy all the players because mm. it doesn't work. 
Now, mm. it's the, the reality is from a sustainability, it doesn't work. Teams mm. fold. Mm. And you look at teams in the past that have won championships that you go out and buy all the best players to win a championship, they fold. You know, so to me, I'm going, that's not the answer. It's about building a sustainable program. So my, my theory was, okay, let's get the best young talent coming through. I was the head coach of the national junior team. You know, I, I've got relationships with the players. You know, I, I proved that you know, I, you know, I care for them. I want them to be best. So we put them in a really good environment. So the way of Silent to the Wildcats was stop investing in all the players, invest mm. in building infrastructure. Let's get good assistant coaches. Let's get strength and conditioning. Uh, let, let's get doctors, physios, massage, nutrition. You know, like a whole package around these players. You know, and, and nurture them and make them great. Mm. You know, so that there was a, a massive key with that organisation of bringing great people in. And Damien Martin, one of the all-time great leaders, yeah. six championships. You, know, you you know Jesse Wagstaff six championships. You know you bring in people like Greg Hire. You know like you know when we we're talking about players before. You know Greg Hire is one of the people responsible for winning championship. Mm. He's far from being a, a, a very good player, but my God, what a hard ass! <laughs> you know he you know the, the way he treated you know himself, his body, everything he did. So you know that's part of the the formula. So really, it was a mm. case of bringing players that are. Very talented, there's no mm. question. Mm. Nurture them, look after them. You know, we build a holistic approach that we help them off the court with their studies. You know, we, we mm. sent them to university. You know, they worked with the employees. Mm. You know, there was even at one stage when I changed the philosophy of going, okay, you've got to go to university, you've got to work. Mm. But some people accused me of church mm. because we were doing that. You know, well, no, no, we're actually investing in the people from a holistic approach, when you do that, when you care more for your players, they're, they're going to put back. So I think we, we got them into the, into the community. You get mm. out to the schools, get out to the hospitals, get into the prisons, get into mm. the associations. And because they're great people, mm. they can communicate with them. It's, it's organic. It just grows. Yeah. Just grows. What we had was great people that became role models, mm. you know, and, and people, people support that. In yeah. Perth, uh, the great thing about Perth is so far away mm. from everything, and you'll find with all of their sporting teams is they have great support mm. because it's an us versus them mentality. They're yeah. from WA. Mm. They don't like people from the East. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. that's reality. Yeah. You know, it took us a while to get there, and I became adopted. That you know, I was over there, and it's the same with you know, a lot of the players. When they go over there, they get looked after so well. Great facilities, great organisation. That's why people stay. And that mm. comes back to part of my book about the culture of a club, mm. and the positive environment, how you support each other. Mm. That's why the players stay there. You know, mm. There's really not that many who leave. I mean, some do leave. There's, you know, it's part of the business. But yeah. you know, when you keep your core group together for a long period of time, that's what's sustainable. And mm. that's why they're so good. Yeah, absolutely. For those who are watching, if you've never been to a Wildcats game or home game, get over there. I had the opportunity last year, two years ago now, and it's a phenomenal experience. It feels like an NBA game. That's how good it is, I reckon. So the atmosphere and that's... Um, Touched on the plays, uh, moving now to the Laura Hawks, which was your last gig. Um, you sort of um, uh, nurtured a similar sort of group that were hard-nosed and gave it a good crack and end up resulting in 
uh, making the 2017 Grand Final Series. Um, no doubt that was another highlight in your life. What was that like, uh, making that Final Series? Yeah, look, uh, I think it was 2014, you know, my contract was up and, uh, you know, I, I made a decision that, you know, I was going to go, you know, to bigger, bigger things and ended up in, in China uh, coaching over there. And it was, uh, it was, that was an eye-opener. You know, it was just a different beast and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, I only did the one season there. And then when I came back, that's when there was an opportunity at Wollongong. Mm. And it was one of those things, oh, geez, I don't know if I want to get back in the league, blah, blah, blah. But, but anyway, it was pretty much, you know, the family said, hey, Dad, this is what you do. This is who you are. Mm. Uh, so I, I took on that role. And, I, and again, it was the same philosophy is that, that when I went to Perth, is I, I know how to build a winning model. Mm. And it was about people. Mm. So one of the first things I did was when I took the job, I said to him, look, I'll do a six-month contract only. That's it. Let's just wow. see if we can get the club going again. Mm. And the first phone call was um, Kevin Lish. You know, Kev was you know, overseas at the time. I rang him up and said, hey, you know, I've just taken the job. What are you doing? Do you want to come back? And, uh, you know, to my surprise, he said, I'd love to. Mm. You know, like he's got a young family now, mm. uh, you know, tough for, on Rach and, and Benji, you know, mm. Sophia was on the way. So it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come back. Mm. And so that was one of the, the big keystones for me was that. And then, you know, my background with AJ Ogilvy, mm. you know, I, I, um, I coached him for a very long time as well. He was, you know, great opportunity there. And, and then Turkey fell in my lap, you know, like he rang me. He rang me from Turkey, I believe, yeah. just saying, hey, I'm really close friends with... Now, I mean, I knew, I knew Kirk, but he said, no, no, I've heard some great things. I, I, I want to come and play. Yeah. You know, like, a similar situation that he wanted to get out of the environment he was in, into a good environment. And mm. So, really, you know, I call them the big three at that stage. Mm. Uh, but then you got great people around you like the you know the Tyson D Moss's Oscar Foreman's Timmy Conrad you know Larry Davidson you know those types of players so mm. you know I brought in some of my people and we just sort of changed the mentality and we we, we had a lot of fun you know mm. we worked our asses off we had some really good uh, competitive you know like the the work ethic of those players was off the charts you know mm. and they went from i think we went from six wins the previous year to 17 wins in a semi-final mm. and then the f next year you know making a grand final it was like a cinderella story you know mm. it was it, it was a lot of fun it was amazing amazing experience and then uh, you know then a lot of changes happened mm. we uh, sort of went downhill from there yeah so what was Without going into too much of what happened, um, you know, we see the plight of the Laura Hawks at the moment, um, looking for owners, uh, not in a great position. Um, one of the clubs that haven't really grown as the league has grown. Most other clubs have really sort of built their fan base and, and um, you know, continued to grow as the league has grown. But the Hawks still don't seem to be able to get that level of support. Is there another business model that needs to um, be implemented there? I feel like they probably rely too much on um, sponsorship from the local community, which is great, but is there something they can, in your in your opinion, is there something better they could be doing to be able to um, get high level support in there and sponsorship and, and really see that place start to grow? Because you know we we do want the Laura Hawks in the league, in my opinion. 
Yeah, look, yeah, I, I love the club. You know, I love the community. Just, just fantastic. It's a different beast. Yeah. Now that that's the thing worked in the corporate teams like like, like the Perth and uh, you know to come into a regional community the, the probably the biggest strength that that is part of this community is uh, is the they, they back each other they are the community they're small uh, businesses that want to get behind mm. and uh, you know that was um, that was one of the reasons why I did come back here for, for, for that mm. my the issue that I probably found was that the previous owners, they, they were they were Illawarra people. You know, they, they they were Sydney people that, you know, were, were sports fans or they wanted to be involved and they, they bought the club. But I just don't feel that they had any real feel for the actual community. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that was probably something there. So I think the model going forward, uh, it, you've got to have a community owner like, and it can't be just one person, you know, always, because we've only had, you know, one owner beforehand, another owner. Like, I've seen it all the time. One ownership doesn't work unless you're a Jack Bendat. You know, that's, that's a different boost, you know, and it's a different model there. But, you know, in this community, you, you've got to have probably multiple owners, maybe two, yeah. two yeah. or three maximum, but it's got to be a local, locally owned, passionate person. And they've got that person right now, yeah. you know, in, in their backyard in Torrey Lavelle. Hmm. You know, he was our major sponsor for four or five years. Hmm. And all the four years I was there, he was our major sponsor. So he's been there forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he owns the Wollongong Wolves. You know, he's a local businessman that wants to invest back in his community. So hmm. I think that's the answer there. Now you can back it up, you know, with, you know, whether Lamello Ball or other parties get involved. So I think you've got to have that. But I think the community is probably the, the biggest thing. Hmm. Another thing that needs to be done are facilities. Mm. You know, it, it, it's, it's hard to recruit players when you don't have the same facilities as a, you know, as a Perth or a Melbourne or whatever it might be. So yeah. that's another area that needs mm. to be done is, uh, you know, better training facilities. It's hard when you bring an import in. I love the Snake Pit. It's one of the oldest buildings in all <laughs> yeah. of Australia. Yeah. Great court, great back. Like, it's good, but yeah. it's an old jet. It is. You know, so there's a stigma involved with that as well. And, mm. you know, people you know, going, oh, yeah, but we're the Illawarra, we're a blue, you know, blue-collar town and, you know, you know, we put the hard hat on, away we go. That, that, that's great. They're mm. words. Yeah. Now that, you know, I, I agree. You've got to work hard. Yeah. But you've got to be in a good work environment as well. Yeah. So I think that's, that, that's really important. You've got to have a very strong board. Mm. You know, in my four years, there was no board. Mm. No board. Yeah. No, no meetings, no accountability. Wow. That there is a downfall of a club when you don't have a collaborative approach yeah. where, again, I look at Perth, you know, great board, you know, very, very experienced, very passionate, experts yeah. in their field, monthly meetings, accountability. You know, accountability is paramount. Yeah. You know, and then you go to a smaller organisation. You, you, you just got to downscale it, but you still yeah. got to have some great leadership you know, it comes from the ownership group to a board. There are experts in their field, down to the coaches, down to the assistant coaches, the medical staff. Like everybody's got to have their role and responsibility. Mm. That's what Illawarra got to do a better job of in, of getting a, a really strong management group in place that's supported mm. by the ownership group. I think that yeah. that's a real key. Absolutely. Let's hope that they uh, can stay around, stay afloat, and get that sorted. Um, we hope the Hawks are still around. But last question for you, mate. I know you're passionate about uh, coaching pathways in Australia. And um, 
I want to touch on the journey of a former teammate of mine who I know you know well, Sam Gruggan. He was there at the Razorbacks. And um, I was just really encouraged to see his journey, coaching journey. Uh, he probably won't mind me quoting, uh, saying his name on this podcast. But, um, yeah, just seeing him when we are playing together, you know, cutting his teeth at the junior representative ranks um, up to the state level, um, you know, the, the representative programs, and then got his crack with the with an NBL team with the Townsville Crocs, albeit as an assistant coach, and they folded after his one and only year there. Um, but as I look at and reflect on um, Sam's journey, there's a lot of hard work involved in being a coach and getting to that level. You have to have a lot of resilience. I'm sure you can, uh, I'm sure you agree with that. What do you think, um, or do you feel the coaching pathways are adequate in Australia? And if they are, what advice do you give to young coaches who are trying to take their coaching to the next level? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for, I mean, Sammy, I brought in as one of my apprentice coaches mm. you know, back in the West Sydney days. And, uh, you know, I, I love him. You know, I'm still a mentor to this day. You know, yeah. he drives me up the wall at times. Surely not. Yeah, that's good old Sammy. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's um, the pathway is really important. And, uh, you know, what I'm finding is that a lot of, a lot of the coaches want to try and get up to the highest level as fast as they can without serving their apprenticeship. Mm. Uh, so I think the pathway is really important that, you know, like b- before I got a head coaching position, I think it was like 15, 16 years before I actually became a head coach. Mm. Some people want to be head coach in two years. You know, you've got you to cut your teeth. You've got to understand how everything works. So you've got to understand um, what it, to teach kids the fundamentals of under-12s, under-14s, 16s, mm. 18s. At different age groups, you've got to teach fundamentals. Then you've got to teach team strategy. And you've got to teach a whole lot of things. But, you know, coaching is dealing with, with, with um, parents. It's dealing with the media. It's dealing with, mm. with the, the abuse of social media, the, the intimidation, the bullying, the harassment. You know, all of those things that coaches have got to get through. So you've got to actually probably be exposed to it to gain experience from that. So uh, you, you've got to be a head coach for state team. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, people, you, you, you have to do that. And, you know, I've seen people that have just jumped out of university and go straight into a professional sport and going, they're, they're not going to make it. Or even former players that have been great players, they jump into a coaching position mm-hmm. uh, and they fail. It's because they don't have the, the actual hands-on experience of dealing with a, a lot of other issues and their expectations might be a lot higher than that. So I think you've got to, you know, I always talk about serve your apprenticeship, mm. work your way up the, the food chain by coaching both men and women, vice versa. It doesn't matter. You've got to do both. Mm. So you understand people. Mm. Everything's about developing relationships yeah. you know, and understanding how things work. So it's more than just learning about what I call the X's and O's. There, there, there's so much more the emotional intelligence side of things. You've got to, you've got to understand people and, and, and situations and things like that. So, I mean, I'm sort of waffling here, but, mm. you know, the pathway is, you know, obviously coach juniors domestically, yep. males, females do both, different personalities. Coach, you know, assistant coach, learn how to cut up videotape, understand strength conditioning, uh, you know, like I, I, I went to university and did two degrees to understand, you know, psychology and things like that. Mm. Learn about how to teach communication, all of those things there, you know, mm. dealing with, you know, a whole lot of different things, you know, so, and that takes time. 
yeah. and uh, you've got to be you know prepared to make the sacrifice and commitment to to, to travel to move jobs to work with with um, great mentors and, and that's the position I'm at in my career is that you know I've achieved a lot well now it's it's time to you know I want to be that 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 mentor I want to be that guy hey I've got this issue you know that's sort of where I'm at you know people like Sammy is on on his way up mm. you, you know he's he's doing a tremendous job mm. with uh with what he's doing and uh you know he you know to, to me he's got to get back in the nbl you know mm. as an assistant coach somewhere the problem in in our country is it's just not enough jobs yeah you know there's only nine teams there's hardly yeah. any jobs so mm. there's so much more we can do uh particularly from you know a, a junior level and he where, where sammy's at, at the moment you know his you know the spp and pp program of developing our elite juniors he, he's doing a great job of that but you know obviously somebody like him is the next step we'll be back back in the nbl national junior teams as well then you know work your way up there yeah fantastic mate well, there you go young coaches hopefully uh there's some good advice for you great advice um We'll leave it there, mate. But just before we finish up, um, any chance we'll see you back in, in, in the NBL anytime soon? Uh, to be honest, uh, I, I don't think so. You know, I, I'll, I'll never ever say never, uh, but it's got to be the, the, the right opportunity with the right people of some great organisations and, uh, you know, you go through a lot of struggles in life as a coach and, and right now, you know, I've achieved a lot. Um, never say never, but, you know, right right now, if I'm looking at the short term, you know, I, I can't really see that happening at this stage. Yeah. Fair enough, mate. Well, I'm for, I for one hope we do see you in the NBL before long, but uh, wish you all the best, mate, and thank you for your time today on the More Than A Game podcast. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Dan. Much appreciated.